it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. I am worried about my self-confidence, Carl Rove. Thanks so much, Senator Ron Johnson, standing by. Rich Lowry, the National Review, to put this election 22 uh, in perspective as we get set in seven weeks to make a consequential decision on the House and the Senate and a lot of governorships. Uh, we have a lot going on today. 1030, the president will be speaking at the U.N. We're also watching what's happening at the border and all other developments. So before I get to the senator, who is now ahead in the latest poll to retain his seat for another six years in Wisconsin, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And those who try to blackmail us with nuclear weapons should know that the prevailing winds can also blow in their direction. This is not a bluff. Really? Vladimir Putin, President Biden to speak at the U.N.? What can we expect? Will he call out China? Walk away from evil Iran's deal? Lambase Putin? Let's see. If it, Let's see. But his woke agenda at the Pentagon and exit from Afghanistan makes his presentation reek of weakness. Number two. The bases are energized. Democrats are energized on abortion. Republicans are energized on immigration, the economy. But it's the independents that are going to swing this midterm election. And they are much more economic focused than their ba- the bases of, of the individual parties. And with uh, the economy sucking wind and we're losing 15 percent of on the stock exchange, you got to wonder if the American people want to change 2022. Where's trending and the role of the reeling economy on the November outcome as the Fed gets set to inflict more Pain. Number one. It looks like he's sending uh, migrants to Delaware. Do you have any comment or response to that, sir? He should come visit. We have a beautiful shoreline. Sarcastic. Sorry, Dems. DeSantis owns you and the president on this issue. He's bringing his show to your home, Mr. President, not the White House, your Delaware home. The border wars are blowing up in the Democrats' faces as they deserve exactly what's coming to them because they're ignoring it. And what DeSantis and Abbott have done is by taking these illegal immigrants, having them sign a paper and putting them in these cities that are non-border cities, they're bringing the problem to their doorstop, making them Comment on it. Senator Ron Johnson joins us now with Homeland Security, Foreign Relations, as well as the budget. Senator, I think it's a brilliant move by DeSantis, even though the sheriff is looking into suing him uh, from the area of Texas in which his those people get one on that plane to Martha's Vineyard. Well, good morning, Brian. I, I agree with you. I think it was, it was brilliant to highlight the hypocrisy of the Democrats. I think all these jurisdictions are sanctuary cities, aren't they? Uh, yeah, every one of them. Welcoming immigrants. And again, this is a fraction, a tiny fraction of what the governor is having to deal with. Uh, you know, about 7,000 people per day are being encountered. Uh, about 3 million people since uh, Biden took office have either been encountered, processed and dispersed or come to this country illegally as a known or unknown gotaway. That's that's a number larger than the population of 17 states. W- where are they going? You know, we don't know, but you know, again, I think it's brilliant that these governors have been 
you know, sending some immigrants to some sanctuary cities, these democratic strongholds that all claim to want to coexist and, and be uh, welcoming, and they're freaking out. They, they can't handle it. Well, how are governors handling 7,000 people a day? How is CBP handling it? That's what's opening up the lanes for deadly drugs that uh, last year killed 107,000 people in, in drug overdoses. So it's a crisis. I, I blame uh, the Biden administration. That is the root cause, but also the media, the complicit and corrupt media that has covered this up and re- really required these governors to do something to highlight the problem so that maybe, maybe the administration will take this seriously. But, you know, Brian, they won't even admit it's a problem. They say it's yeah. a listen to his explanation. <laughs> listen to his explanation yesterday. He said the problem is it's a new group that's coming to the border. Cut five. On the border, why is the border more overwhelmed under your watch, Mr. President? Because there are three countries that are never have there are fewer there are fewer immigrants coming from Central America and from Mexico. This is a totally different circumstance. What's on my watch now is Venezuela. Cuba and Nicaragua. That is not true. Uh, There's more coming, but they're coming the same way through the southern border of Mexico, through our southern border. So this is the new spin center. Is that going to is that going to sell to America? No, the truth is they're coming because the Biden administration is inviting them in. Remember, every Democrat president's candidate said that they were going to stop deportations and offer free health care. That's called an enormous incentive. And then, of course, the reality is once they get here, even though most of them don't qualify for asylum, they're still being let in. And their claims not being adjudicated for years, so they're going to stay here. That's the reality, and that's why millions are coming, and millions more will come unless we stop this. But for him to say, it doesn't matter. There's a way to apply for asylum. The first country you get to after you leave yours, that's where you apply. When it gets to the southern border, you get stopped. If you get to our southern border, you remain in Mexico. It was very simple and finished the wall. But he's done none of it. But at least people are talking about it. Do you think this is going to come up in Wisconsin in your race? Well, where we're seeing it is in the the deadly drugs. You know, I've obviously been talking about this on national level for for years i've been i've been talking about the human depredations the human trafficking the sex tra- sex trafficking the the drug trafficking but it's killing killing wisconsinites all these you know we local sheriffs don't have to deal with meth labs anymore because they got put out of business by the flow from mexico it's a lot cheaper uh, to get the methamphetamine and of course the fentanyl is, is what's really killing people so Every state's a border state, Brian. So it's, it, is, should, it should be an issue in every election. So right now you're up uh, by, I guess, the real clear average. Uh, you're up by less than one. But on the latest poll, you're up by four against Mandela Barnes. How do you explain the surge, despite the fact that money's pouring in against you? Yeah, well, first of all, we're finally able to tell the truth about Mandela Barnes. Now, we're not getting help from the complicit media. You know, in a sane world with an unbiased media, none of these races would even be close. He, he's for defunding the police, and he doesn't pay his taxes. Is that a fact? Well, he, he hasn't in the past. You know, he's been delinquent on his taxes. But, Frank, he thinks the founding of America is awful. He, he implies that our national parks are racist. You know, he, he, now he claims he doesn't want to defund the police, but he's on record and supported by you know, all these groups that's their primary uh, function is to defund the police. So, again, he can't be honest with Wisconsinites about who he is, so he's in hiding. Uh, but what we've been able to do is finally tell the truth 
But unfortunately, we got to pay to get the truth out. So Ron Johnson for Senate.com, they spent over $70 million lying about me, assassinating my character, because that's all they've got, Brian. That's all they've got. They, they can't defend this record. The open borders, the 40-year high inflation, record gas prices, rising crime. So all they can do is lie. And, of course, Democrats have no problem lying. And they don't get called on it uh, by the press because the press is complicit and corrupt along with them. Well, the thing is, you don't need the press to understand that your your life is, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're really screwed. Uh, and it turns out if people, if there's only 10% of the country is keeping a balance on their credit card, that's now up to 60%. Uh, right now in this country, and uh, there's even more. 61% of Americans say they're falling behind. Now, I didn't say anything about Democratic-Republican. If that is your reality, you know that's a new reality. And now, if you're about to buy a home, the way to solve the problem with the economy and to control inflation, they say, is to up interest rates. So if you're about to buy a home or thinking about it, you're going to have to put it off, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I mean, they're putting homeownership out of the reach of consumers. And, and again, this didn't just happen. This is caused by the out-of-control deficit spending, purposely driving up the cost of energy and gasoline. Now, Brian, a dollar that you held at the start of the Biden administration is only worth 88.3 cents. If you were a senior on a fixed income, fortunate to have $100,000 in your savings account at the start of the Biden administration, it's now mm-hmm. worth 88300 bucks. The federal government, the Biden administration basically stole $12,000 for you. And, and look at how expensive things are nowadays. So, no, this, this is something the, dem- the press can't hide, is the fact that people can't fill up their grocery carts. The, the gas is still you know, 60% higher than it was when Biden took office nationally. In Wisconsin, it's about double you know, what gas prices were. So the, the media can't cover for Biden from this standpoint, which is, I think, maybe one of the factors. Uh, let's look at the governor's race. I think uh, Evers has been awful. I'm just fascinated that Whitmer is in the lead, and Evers has got a two-point lead in the latest poll. To, I think it's Tim Michaels. How do you explain that? The guy shut down the country, didn't stand up uh, at Waukesha, didn't, you know, didn't stand up to Black Lives Matters when they were destroying your cities. What, what's going on here? Because b- both of our Democrat opponents are, are hiding. The press doesn't press, you know, press them. They don't ask them tough questions. And so they, they basically get away with this. But, you know, the, the Barnes-Evers administration had a goal of, re- of reducing our prison population by 50 percent. Brian, they've already reduced it by 15 percent. And you'd think they'd start with nonviolent criminals, right? No. Only 11 percent of the 884 people they let out, about 100 people, were nonviolent. The other 784 Violent criminals, including 44 child rapists, 270 criminals primarily committed or attempted murder. What one guy shot his wife, cut off her head, put it in a wood-burning stove. They let this guy out. I mean, they've let violent criminals out on the streets in a neighborhood uh, in Wisconsin or maybe even near you because they're free. Yeah, and that's that. Right. I yeah. was going to say, and Mandela Barnes says reducing the prison population is sexy. Well, no, it's dangerous. No kidding. Well, watching that New York fall apart, Chicago especially, and Philadelphia just uh, rip apart at the seams. I was in Memphis. They say it's their number one issue, and we've seen that horrific crime over in Memphis. So the President of the United States said this at a closed event at D.C. Uh, if the Republicans take the House and Senate, it's a different world. I'll be spending all my time with a veto pen. Is he right? Uh, well, if we can pass things through the Senate, uh, what he'll probably be doing is spending a lot of his time answering the questions that the public has for him. 
uh, is we're going to try and expose the truth, try and expose the corruption of the Biden administration, Department of Justice, the FBI, the federal health agencies. Uh, no, we, we need to stop his massive deficit spending. That's true. But uh, again, I, I have a hard time thinking the Democrats can be passing too many uh, pieces of Republican legislation, but we can stop their agenda. So one thing is clear, you're on the Foreign Relations Committee, you care a lot and have like, experience in foreign relations. Tell me the impact of this statement, Cut 27. After our interview, a White House official told us U.S. policy has not changed. Officially, the U.S. will not say whether American forces would defend Taiwan. But the commander-in-chief had a view of his own. So unlike Ukraine, to be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion. Yes. So who's right? Who's running this government? Is this a, a te- is this a tough guy act? A good cop, bad cop? What do you? How do you make sense of this, Senator Johnson? Well, I'd go back to what uh, Obama's defense secretary said about President Biden: is that he's been wrong on every foreign policy issue for the last forty years, and he's continuing his string. And, you know, our position toward ta- Taiwan has always been one of ambiguity. You know, we we obviously want to support people that want to remain free, uh, but at the same time, I think it's pretty dangerous to be you know, poking a stick in the eye of China, uh, particularly as, as we've weakened our own military with, with all this wokeness. That, and the uh, vaccine mandate. And readiness. Precisely, yeah. Which, by the way, the, the, the pandemic's over. All these mandates should be canceled, okay? There should no longer be vaccine mandates. I agree with you. Should have been. Here's Jake Sullivan explaining his own president that hired him. Cut 28. He was asked a question, a hypothetical question in this interview. He was asked a very similar question back in Tokyo in May. He gave a similar answer in Tokyo in May that he gave in the 60 Minutes interview. After uh, that answer in Tokyo, someone said specifically to him, have you just announced a major policy change? And he said, no, I have not. I've answered a hypothetical question. I have not announced a policy change. Does that explain it? No. No, no, they're, totally just, inadequate. they're just mopping up. They're just mopping up for the boss who, you know, unfortunately is just, he's losing it. I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, he's just, he's not up to the task. We're, we're, America is in a very tenuous position right now. It just is. I mean, the, 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 the radical left has taken over our government. They've got control of the both houses of, of Congress. They've got the administration. They've driven America into a ditch. Their foot's on the accelerating pedal. They're driving it further in the ditch. That's why the November election is so important. We, we've got to stop them. They have to be stopped. So, Senator, we see Herschel Walker moved up in Georgia. Uh, we'll see what Don uh, Boldick can do in New Hampshire because that's a vulnerable race there. There's a lot of optimism over in Colorado. Uh, overall, though, you have uh, Senator Mitch McConnell is picking and choosing who to back. He's not going to back Blake Masters. He says other money's coming in. I think he's thinking of Peter Thiel. Are you getting the backing in Wisconsin? Absolutely. I really have been. I think the the Republican Senatorial Committee has been great. They've been in early. Other groups have come in early. And now, again, now we have an opponent, and we have to pay to get the truth out about the opponent. But our, you know, my opponent is a radical leftist. He's, he's hiding from the press. So, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about my race, but I'm going to continue to run like I'm behind and can't take anything for granted. So, again, Ron Johnson from Senate.com. Uh, we, we've got to keep our foot in the accelerator here. Well, you have seven weeks left. Is there a debate on on schedule? 
Well, he's agreed to one debate. I'm, I'm happy to debate that we've accepted three. He's accepted one once mail-in ballots or absentee ballots have already been sent out. So, again, he just does not want to yeah. go in front of the, the people of Wisconsin and, and, you know, tell them what he believes, what he truly believes. You know, he's running away from all his prior positions. We've got the audio. We've got the video. Uh, and, again, the, the press just is not hounding him. They're not asking him the tough questions. They should. And VP Harris is going to visit Wisconsin today. What will she find? What will you do? Will she ask to see you? <laughs> well, I'm in D.C. Uh, so, again, you know, what I hope is she'll actually listen to the pain their administration is causing Wisconsinites with the 40-year high inflation and high gas prices and rising crime. You know, I, I hope she doesn't do what the president did and what Mandela Barnes has gotcha. been doing it and just lie about me. Just lie about me. That's, that's what they do. I wouldn't put it past her. Uh, thanks so much, Senator Ron Johnson. Best of luck. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Here's one of the causes of it, though. We offshore too much of our production. We don't make enough things in America. We don't make masks. We don't make enough baby formula. We don't make semiconductors. We're shipping all these things from China and then paying shipping costs. One thing we can come together is what I say is a new economic patriotism. Make things in this country. It will long-term bring down inflation. So they're talking about the struggles with the economy and that being the top issue for Republicans. Not that they have to manufacture it. It's no culture war. It's a war for your dollars and who's keeping them and who's getting paid with them. Who's quiet quitting and who's grinding it out and behind and, and, and their paycheck no longer adding up because of inflation. And Rokahana came on last night on the network and just said, that's one thing we can agree on. Start making things here. The question is, will you put pressure on the unions to come in at a good price point, which will make sense for a business owner to bring back cars and masks uh, and who knows what other things to make manufacturing great again, but affordable. I mean, people don't go offshore because they love going to Mexico or China. They do it because the number's so overwhelmingly better, the maximized profit, and it's never been frowned upon until recently. But the Pentagon's been told, pull everything out. Apple and others have said, when it comes to high-tech equipment, look India, look Vietnam, and they're starting to make the moves. It's got to happen rapidly. Maybe both sides can agree on that.
information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The bases are energized. Democrats are energized on abortion. Republicans are energized on immigration, the economy. But it's the independents that are going to swing this midterm election. And they are much more economic focused than their ba- the bases of, of the individual parties. And look, inflation isn't going away. People have a very negative mood about the future of the country, economically speaking. Those are the voters that are going to make it or break these races. And they're tilting to the Republicans in the home stretch. Right now, uh, but according to the power I guess the power play on FoxNews.com, it looks like currently, as opposed to where we were in July, it looks like late September, three seats are now favored and leaning towards Democrats. It doesn't mean the House is going to go to the Democrats. It means the, uh, if the election was today, the, the lead would be, the margin would be smaller. And there's a toss-up in the Senate, which was not the case a few weeks ago. Rich Lowry joins us now, editor of a National Review. So what he was just saying about independence, are you under the belief that independence will sway this thing? Yeah. The, we live in an uh, era of base turnout, and people tend to forget they're still middle of the, the electorate. They're still persuadable people, and the independent vote still matters. Trump won independence in 16, lost him in 20. That made a huge difference. And it'll be the same thing in this this midterm, which does not look like it's going to be the Republican blowout I would have expected two months ago. But I would still expect a a normal kind of midterm where Republicans win 20, 25 House seats and a a Senate seat or two, which is all they need. And it'll be largely, I think, because independents have been turned off by Biden and are, are, as, as was being said there, focused on the economy. And they're just not a good story to tell there. I mean, the latest indication of that was the, the answer on 60 Minutes, which he just doesn't have anything good to say. So he, he blows every every uh, response on that question. It, it's amazing. Does anyone drill with him? I mean, does anyone say, listen, they're going to bring up inflation. This is what you should bring up. Instead, he wants to dismiss the fact that people think it's still high. Yeah. And even Scott Pelley said it's a 40-year high. He's like, I know. Yeah, I know, but it's yeah, only 8.3. <laughs> so that was a little embarrassing. worse. Yeah, and in practical terms, stuff like this I know you thrive on. Uh, The percent of Americans carrying a balance on their credit card in 2021, 10%. Now, 60%. The cost of living Mm -hmm. staying about even with the cost of – uh, even with the cost of living or falling behind, they were asked, are you falling behind or staying even? 63% are falling behind, 30% staying about even, 5% going up faster. So I don't know where those 5% were, but I congratulate them. Groceries are up uh, 15%. Uh, two-thirds of adults say their income, as, as you know, is falling behind. Our overall national debt at $27 trillion was at $27 trillion when the president took office. It's now at $30 trillion. He's only been there 18 months. So these numbers, the American people are feeling along with the interest rates and 15% decrease in the stock market. But it was Mar-a-Lago and it was the Dobbs decision that was flooding the zone. Is it still? No, much less so. You know, Mar-a-Lago is going on. We have a special master hearing yesterday, but it's just not as dominant. Um, abortion was taken off the front pages last week by the Operation Martha's Vineyard. You know, 50 migrants showing up in, in uh, a, a Tony vacation spot was enough to turn the, the news cycle. And I just think at the, the end of the day, yes, Democratic turnout is juiced up over Dobbs, and they've used Trump, I think, pretty, pretty effectively for their purposes. But still, it just – they don't have anything to say on, on inflation and the economy that's compelling, and those are the top issues. Uh, I guess so. Uh, when we talk about – 
what's going on with immigration. Uh, Ron DeSantis and Governor Abbott together have made Americans pay attention. It, they're not paying attention to the whole story. They think Mar- uh, Martha's Vineyard is the story. They think the vice president's house is the story. They think New York and Chicago is the story. The story is what's actually happening mm-hmm. at the border. And yep. along with fentanyl, along with the 76 terrorists they picked up trying to cross the border last month, Rich Lowry, right? Yeah, so the estimate of our friends at the Center for Immigration Studies, 1.35 million new illegal immigrants residing in the United States since Biden was inaugurated. They have to go somewhere, and they've been going somewhere. Besides, They've obviously been inundating the border states, but not all of them have been staying there. DHS has been handing over, because it's overwhelmed, handing over these migrants to uh, private groups that say, hey, where do you want to go, and here's the Greyhound bus, and just have someone wire the money for, for the ticket, and you're on your way. So what DeSantis and Abbott and Ducey, by the way, in Arizona, they're also doing it. I've been doing is just basically a version of the same thing. You know, they, they show up in greater numbers in one spot, you know, dozens rather than one or two. Um, but but there's no reason that it shouldn't the pain shouldn't the burden shouldn't be shared uh, across the country and the, these migrants are choosing to go you know they don't get on the bus in Texas or Arizona uh, no one's compelling them to do that coercing them to do that it's because they want to go to New York they know someone in the environment of New York City in the area so they so they go that's just how how this uh, pattern works so you, you think these people are being used by as pawns fine let's have fewer pawns on the playing board which is very easy you just reinstitute everything what Trump was doing. And you drastically reduce the flow. Of course, that's not what Biden wants to do. Well, he's he's blaming it on the communism. He says, well, the, I, that's communist problem. No, no, you've, that's communist problem has always been there. Enforce mm-hmm. your southern border. I don't care who it is. Plus, we're getting Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, everyone mm-hmm. through. Listen to the press secretary. One of the strongest we've ever had. We're so fortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, cut seven. I don't have the specifics of who, where we got word from. I I can tell you that we've been closely coordinating uh, with um, uh, uh, the folks in Delaware, the officials in Delaware. What I can tell you that uh, our heads up did not come from Governor DeSantis because his only goal is, uh, as he's made it really quick, clear, is to create chaos and use immigrants fleeing communism as political pawns. So it's about creating political theater uh, for him. It's not about getting to a solution. And what he's saying is they got tipped off that the that these these immigrants are going to be going to Delaware today. So your yeah. thought, this is going to be the new spin. Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Cuba fleeing communism. Yeah, so first of all, I, I do think a heads up is a good idea. That's the way Arizona does it. You know, ask them, you want to go to New York? Okay, get on this bus and then tell, tell folks in New York the other end. You know, four days expect this bus to come, which I, I think is a common sense approach. But th- these folks, by and large, you know, they're not, they're not walking from Cuba in, uh, onto the southern border. They've already probably been in a Central American country where not as comfortable as the United States, not as much opportunity in the United States, but they're not being persecuted there. So that, that's the root of the problem is is almost all these asylum claims are bogus. They know our system is overwhelmed. It makes no sense. You come, you just say, I'm claiming asylum. You're waived in the country, and no one will ever make you leave. So that was the whole point of Remain in Mexico. You make a, a claim of asylum, fine. Stay in Mexico. If your claim succeeds and you genuinely fear persecution back home, come on in. That's what the way it works. You know, you're, 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 now, uh, you're now in the United States. But if your claim fails, as almost all of them do, 70 80% or whatever it is, 
you're not coming in and you're not staying, you're going home. And that's obviously the way it should work. I, I can't, you know, if that's been, ever been polled, I'm sure it has like 80% approval, but that's what they, they won't do. Because they, at the end of the day, they really don't think we have a right to exclude them. They, they think anyone who wants to come has a moral right uh, to be here, and anyone who thinks otherwise is a hateful bigot. Right. Uh, and we're, we're over that. Uh, so far, there's been 78 uh, uh, FBI watch terrorists have shown up. Uh, in 2021, there was 15. In 2020, there was three. In 2019, there was zero. So when you look at what's happening, those are the guys we get. Usually terrorists don't get mm-hmm. caught. They're usually good at being elusive. That's why they're terrorists. That's why we had 9-11. I look at this headline. Politico is angry with a reporter at the border, and it's not Peter Ducey. In recent days, current and former White House administration officials expressed a West Wing playbook that they're increasing frustration with on-air coverage, arguing there's an alarmist quality to it, designed to field <laughs> political narratives rather than illuminate the people, and they named Bill Malusian as the problem. <laughs> Meanwhile, the guy should be getting an award, oh, yeah. and like they the look at him as a pain. covering it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and what, does he, what does he do? I, I don't want to um, – it's been tremendous work, and I don't want to slight it in any way. But, but one way you can look at it is all he does is set up a camera, you know, Eagle Pass. And a drone. And, and you see them all coming over, and no one else would do that. You know, it's an enormous story. It's kind of easy to, to tell in that respect. He obviously does, does much more than that. But no one else would do it. And the one guy who is doing it, they want to shoot at. I mean, that tells you all you need to know. And, and just so you know, when you do this, you get sources, and they look at us as the only ally. So the Border right. Patrol is giving them all the facts. And they're, t- yeah. they're basically whistleblowers every day, providing information that the administration doesn't want out and doesn't put out, and they're wondering how he gets it. It's called being a reporter. They don't have, uh, they don't have an adversarial press. They don't have anybody pressing them to be better. Right. It makes them worse. It's like having a coach that says everything you say is great. You're never mm-hmm. going to be the player you can be. But they don't care right. about that because they do so much that is so dicey. A couple of things yeah, have the, come the, out. The, the dynamic you're hitting on is you, you own a story, and then people come to you because they know you own the story, and that's that's how good journalism works. Right. Uh, I usually uh, the way I the way I understood it, uh, Governor DeSantis now in Florida, according to the latest poll, is up forty eight forty on President Trump. No word if he leads any other state. Is that significant to you? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's better than the alternative. There have been other polls, in my mind, there have been other polls that had DeSantis ahead in Florida. And, I, and the first time one popped, I looked back, and you know, the, the last time Trump was behind anyone in Florida was you know, sometime in 2015. So the national polls, though, Trump is still stomping DeSantis. I think that, um, this morning or yesterday was one had him up again, like 52 to 19. So it, it's um, Trump ha- has a, all the indications are has a really strong grip on the party. And maybe it's the polls are a little illusory, and and people are saying that support him just as a function that we like him, we feel defensive of him, we hate his enemies, and push comes to shove, they'll they'll want someone else. But just evidence of, of in front of our eyes is that he's in a, a real dominant position in 2024. What's interesting is that Biden's approval, according to Morning Consult, is now at 46 percent. And I guess it's because they're looking at the things he passed. But if they look at the content of what he did, for one thing, the, the gun control, whether you like it or not, mm-hmm. was not to regenerate it from the White House. It was all the Senate. They wanted him not to get involved. He basically took the issue off the table, in my view. Number two is when the uh, infrastructure bill was done, you got 15 senators. Not one thing did President Biden do except for almost blow it up by saying without Bill Back Better, we don't pass it. And then on the chips bill was pure party, was a, was a, uh, a simple majority, and that was under reconciliation, as was 
uh, excuse me, Chip's bill did pass with the majority. They got some Republicans on there. And then reconciliation got us the mini bill back better. He's getting credit for all those. Yeah, and and gas prices, you know, look a, l- a little better. And uh, but y- y- you're right; it, it's kind of it's it's created succeeding is better than failing, uh, almost no matter what you're what you're passing. But it's it's weird because you look at the polling of that climate bill, for instance, the the mini Build Back Better, and I think it has like 36 percent approval in the last poll. I said so. So no one really likes it or thinks it's going to make a big difference. But the fact that you know it's not uh, internal party chaos and you get to have a signing ceremony. Money. It, it does make people feel a little better about you. 46 in that morning, morning consult poll feels high to me, but there's no doubt he's taken a, a, a step or two up. Uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution has Herschel Walker up on uh, Raphael Warnock. By the last two polls, he's been leading. Six to seven percent is undecided still. How much is riding on that debate? Well, um, I think a, a fair amount, and, and Herschel, you know, he, he's been playing the expectations game, I think, wisely. He's like, you know, I'm not a debater. He's probably going to wipe the floor with me. But he just needs to put in a credible performance. If he puts in a credible performance, I think the, the, the natural gravity there in Georgia is Kemp pulling Walker over the finish line, and especially in a year like this, and you've begun to see it in the polling. And so if, if he doesn't totally step on himself, and I, and I hope they're doing a lot of prep, I, I think he's going to win down in Georgia. That would be a phenomenal. Uh, and you have a guy who grew up from rural, in rural Georgia with absolutely not two cents to rub together, whose both parents worked, uh, and, and they all worked the farm. And what he ended up becoming, uh, let alone as an athlete and a businessman, if he makes the next step as senator, that would mm-hmm. be a great story that Americans should embrace. Uh, the other one is Brian Kemp. If he goes and holds on to this lead over Stacey Abrams, he will not only validate his first win, he will destroy maybe maybe forever, which they thought was a, rep- a Democratic superstar. Don't you agree? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and she she had to say on the View the other day, oh, I never denied that I lost that election, which of course is complete BS. And every national Democrat is still afraid to say that Stacey Abrams didn't win that race. And I have to say, Kemp is a hugely impressive politician. What he's done, he beat Abrams the the first time. Then he had you know Trump shooting at him in a primary, won that. You know how often does that happen? And then is going to beat her the second time and get probably you know on his coattails get a senator elected. So he's, he's an impressive guy. Well, he did. And also, he was very bold on the pandemic. I think people appreciate that now more than ever, mm-hmm. as was Governor DeSantis. Lastly, the president ended the pandemic yesterday. What does that do for vax mandates that have gotten people fired uh, and suspended around the country? Yeah, I mean, you think it, it all would just disappear rightly. But, you know, there, we're in this bizarre twilight zone where he says the pandemic's over, but his administration doesn't. And, you know, what, what does this mean for the, the legal standing of his student loan forgiveness, which is supposedly a pandemic measure? What does it do to Title 42 at the border, which is kind of the last support we have for some enforcement down there, which is a p- pandemic measure? So I, I, I think the kind of the lawyers and the policy people have to be n- nervous that he said that. But it's something that's true. And it's something that he, sh- he should say. And all, all these mandates should disappear. All right. Uh, Rich Lowry, we're going to go read National Review for sure now and get my subscription and we just wait for the postman to show up with the issue. Uh, thanks so much, Rich. Thanks, Brian. Have you got it. You got, well, I'm going to finish up with some calls. You got a lot to say. We're also monitoring events at the United Nations. one 408 7669 You're listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you are. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
from his mouth to, to your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I'd love to see Nikki Haley. I'd love to see Liz Cheney. I'd love to see Nikki Chris Haley, Inu. the chameleon. Uh, Nikki Haley was incredibly effective governor what is her of real South name Carolina. There's some of by. us that can be chameleons and decide not to embrace our ethnicity so that we can pass. Sonny, so I don't that think that's don't fair. You go by a different name. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that, that's some of the idiocy on The View. I'm reluctant to play it sometimes. We played it all day, though, this all morning. And that is uh, Sonny Huston saying that Nikki Haley changed her name to be more American, Americanized. Bobby Jindal did that. I know Bobby named himself after Bobby Brady. You could have brought that up uh, six years ago when he was governor and ran for president. But Nikki Haley, that's her middle name. So she uses it effectively. But if you think she's running from her, her, her Indian heritage, you didn't read her book. It's like four chapters about her childhood, how it shaped her. As she, and then she marries a man that happens to be serving in the military, becomes a governor and a U.N. ambassador. So she's got domestic and international experience and respect. So just to do yourself a favor, just talk about what you know. It's always been a, an advantage of mine. Even if people disagree with you, at least you could say I read it and researched it. Uh, some of you are writing me at BrianKillMe.com. I appreciate it. Richard writes me and says, uh, talking heads uh, have reported about the border leaders are busing immigrants. Uh, and notice they didn't use the word, the term illegal. Anyway, they're busing them wherever they uh, want to go. Are they kidding? They're busing illegal immigrants. Yeah, they're busing illegal immigrants and illegal aliens, and they're actually getting to go to some great places. If you are at the border, stuck in a small town in Texas that doesn't want you, and someone says, how would you like to hop on a bus and go to New York and Chicago? You're probably going to go, Martha's Vineyard, on a plane? Sign me up. Gary, listening in North Carolina. Hey, Gary. Hey, good morning, Brian. Say, if something's bothered me, and I haven't really heard this brought up a lot, you've got these millions of illegal aliens coming across the border. Now, Obviously, they don't have any IDs or anything like that. The average American and this country has to have an ID to get basic utilities, power, and so on, to drive a car. And you have to be vetted to have any kind of a rental. Where exactly are these people going? Because it's virtually impossible, Brian, for anybody of this many people to have a sponsor in this country. Impossible. You're right. That's what. That's where the outrage is, Gary. And I hope you vote that way. The only way they'll end it. Is get Republicans in charge of it who will do everything to treat the people with respect but set up a system. Because we have 11 million open jobs and some of these people are great people. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade. Wayne's, uh, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Always like to have Ken Burns on. He's joined by his co-director, Lynn Novick, at the bottom of the hour, The U.S. and the Holocaust, a new three-part, six-hour series. As well as Matthew Kronig is standing by to bring us the latest uh, around the country, around the globe. And our main focus, we wake, we wake up to finding out that Vladimir Putin, that despicable character, the Hitler slash Stalin of our day, is now threatening nuclear war because he's doing so poorly out in the field and is humiliated in every sense of the word and should be about the unprovoked invasion of Ukraine. So before I get to Matt, let's get to our big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. And those who try to blackmail us with nuclear weapons should know that the prevailing winds can also blow in their direction. This is not a bluff. Really? Uh, well, usually when people say it's a bluff, it's a bluff. Not a bluff, it's a bluff. President Biden to speak at the United Nations in 25 minutes. What can we expect? Will he call out China? Will he finally walk away from the evil Iranian deal? 
Will he lambaste Vladimir Putin? Let's see. But the problem is the woke agenda at the Pentagon and exit from Afghanistan has his presentation reeking of weakness. Number two. The bases are energized. Democrats are energized on abortion. Republicans are energized on immigration, the economy. But it's the independents that are going to swing this midterm election. Mm-hmm. And they are much more economic focused than their ba- the bases of, of the individual parties. Well, that's if that is true, it's bad news for the Democrats. Meanwhile, dissent, uh, we, that's 2022. Where it's trending, the role of the reeling economy, as you just heard, on the November outcome. And the Fed to get involved today, set to inflict more pain. Number one. Thank you for sending migrants to Delaware. Do you have any comment or response to that, sir? He should come visit. We have a beautiful shoreline. So funny, isn't he? Uh, Sorry, Dems. Uh, DeSantis owns you and this issue. And, Mr. President, he's bringing his show to your home. Not the White House, the other place where you spend all your time, that Delaware house of yours. The border wars are blowing up in the Dems' faces, and they deserve exactly what they have uh, coming to them. Why? Because they let it happen. The press, compliant as it is, ignored it. Not anymore. Matthew Kronick joins us now, Director of Studies of the Atlantic Council, Acting Director of the Council's Scowcroft Center for Strategy and Security, and the Director of the Scowcroft Center, uh, Scowcroft Strategy Initiative. Matt, welcome. Thanks. It's great to be on. So, Matt, what do you expect the president to say? What would you include uh, content-wise in his speech today? Well, I think he'll likely focus on the big uh, international security challenges the United States faces. I I think probably number one will be the war in Ukraine and U.S. efforts there. Uh, Second, likely uh, competition with China. And then I think third, uh, the Iran um, nuclear negotiations. So I I expect those to be the major items in the speech. Does it change anything with the threat of nuclear war? Well, you know, Putin has been making these nuclear threats since February, and uh, he's talking a big game, but he hasn't followed through yet. And so I think what this shows is that he's um, deterred. As you said at the outset, he's uh, running out of options. He, he's losing the war. And so this speech shows that he's um, you know, reaching for the, the few remaining options he has left, uh, calling up these reservists, uh, you know, lower quality forces. So that's not a great option. And, and again, uh, relying on these uh, nuclear threats. Uh, so I think the takeaway is the United States and Western governments should continue to support um, the Ukrainians uh, and, and Putin's in a, in a desperate situation. Here is Vladimir Putin yesterday from Moscow, losing about, they say, 3,000 square miles, maybe more, making some progress in the south in Kyrgyzstan. Here's Vladimir Putin announcing the partial military mobilization in a war he says he's not fighting. Cut one. I think it is necessary to support the proposal of the Ministry of Defense and the General Staff to conduct a partial mobilization in Russia. I repeat, we are only talking about a partial mobilization. Right. Uh, meanwhile, we do know he's looking to annex uh, areas of the Donbass, which he says is important. When they have that phony vote and they, they announce they want to be part of Russia, which is a farce, then he says, I'll be obligated to protect that area. And he hopes to get public support behind him. I know it's hard to get inside his diabolical mind, but what is he up to? What cards does he still have to play? Yeah, well, I think he is um, running out of options. This Ukrainian counteroffensive caught him by surprise. And so he's looking at um, remaining tools. You know, his conventional military has really been um, chewed up. Uh, and so he's turning to these reservists. They're, they're lower quality personnel. He had really hoped to avoid this uh, because it undermines his uh, statement that this is a special military operation, a limited operation. He's worried that the Russian population could turn against him if this becomes a, a bigger war. So he wanted to avoid this. But here we are. 
Um, second, he's relying on nuclear threats. Uh, again, the conventional military is chewed up, but he still has nuclear. And then these uh, referenda, I think, are meant to show progress, uh, hold these uh, sham elections, claim that these Ukrainian territories he's occupying actually want to be part of Russia. Uh, and I think that helps him with a domestic audience. But I think he hopes uh, will also help maybe deter uh, the Ukrainians and, and be cautious as they go into these areas, uh, because Putin could claim, oh, you're attacking Russia now. Um, uh, this is getting serious. You need to need to back off. So how do you do this, Matt? Uh, we have allies and the allies are coming up with maybe a tenth of the arms they should be supplying to Ukraine. At the same time, India, technically an ally, is one of the best customers that Russia has with their oil. So how do you go in there behind closed doors and say, what the hell are you doing? I mean, this is not the time to acquiesce. You, can you get stuff like that done today? Well, I'd make a, a few points. One, I, I think it is in the U.S. national interest to defeat um, Russia. So the United States still has an interest to help um, Ukraine. Sure. But you're also right. The, the Europeans um, should be doing much more. Um, they, they have um, done more than was expected, but there's more they can do. And I think um, behind closed doors is, is the way to do it and say, uh, come on, guys, you've got to you've got to step up. This is in your backyard um, and keep um, working on that. You know, the Indians, I, I think, caught many in Washington by surprise. We see India as a partner in uh, dealing with China and Asia, uh, their largest democracy on Earth. I think the hope was that uh, they would be on the side of the free world. Uh, in uh, responding to this Russian invasion of Ukraine. Instead, they see it as an opportunity to buy cheap uh, Russian oil. Um, so, so this is going to be harder to deal with. And, and um, I, I do think it's notable that we have this kind of new non-aligned movement, uh, India, uh, Indonesia, South Africa, Brazil, other major powers in the global south seem to want to stay out of this uh, out of this conflict. And be a customer. Matthew Kronig, our gas director, studies the Atlantic Council, uh, Matthew, when we look at what India is doing, we have leverage. Well, they fear this. Russia at least provides arms to them. They're worried about China. They need us economically and elsewhere. They're worried about China. And that provides a little bit hedge on China. And this way they get cheap oil in a, in a challenging economic environment. As we look in Central and South America, it seems to be going socialist, and we don't seem to be doing anything. We're watching China infiltrate. Russia has a role in Venezuela. Why are we letting Nicaragua, now Colombia, uh, we know that uh, Venezuela and Cuba, all these socialist-slash-communist countries are taking root, and now there's a fear of losing Brazil. Should we be doing more? Yes, we should. And I, I think the way we got here is, uh, I, I think for good reason, we focused on Europe, Asia, the Middle East as the most important geostrategic re regions for the United States. But it's also meant that we've taken our eye off uh, the global south, Latin America, uh, Africa, um, Southeast Asia, and the Pacific. And so Russia and China have seen an opportunity to move in. And I think what caught a, got a lot of people's attention was this big deal the Chinese signed with the Solomon Islands in the Pacific uh, this summer to, uh, that will maybe allow China to open a naval base. Uh, so I think uh, Washington has woken up to this problem and is thinking about ways to respond. But we're, we're just in the early stages, and I, I don't think we have a good strategy right now. Uh, I don't think we have any. I, I think we're totally – and that with further presence as well. I had no idea that communism was in Nicaragua and Venezuela, and now they come to our border. Really? I mean, can we just get them a globe? I mean, that would certainly help. We could just color in the areas that have gone red. Uh, are you worried about Brazil? I, I am. You know, the Americas are uh, – 
United States backyard. You can go back to the Monroe Doctrine uh, that um, uh, we don't want foreign powers messing around in Latin America. And, and you're absolutely right that the trend lines are not, not at all good. Uh, Russia, uh, China are gaining, gaining influence. So I think there are things um, we, we can do. Um, uh, you know, part of the reason they're gaining influence is through um, Belt and Road Initiative and these other efforts to provide loans for bridges and ports and things like that. Uh, you know, the United States has the most dynamic private sector in the world, and so uh, the U.S. government isn't going to be providing major loans like that. But I think we can incentivize uh, the private sector uh, to look for investments in those regions to at least give those countries a choice. If they want outside investment, they don't have to go to the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, they, they can look to the U.S. private sector. I mean, look, we know how productive uh, the Hispanic community has been, Central and South Americans, providing a lot of the manual labor in our country. And there's more opportunity here. Obviously, the perfect move would be moving manufacturing the best we can into Central and South America. It will be closer and will allow these uh, provide additional opportunities for Central and South American countries and out of the Far East, uh, obviously, uh, as much as we can get out of China. The president said this on 60 Minutes. I want to get your take. Cut 26. What should Chinese President Xi know about your commitment to Taiwan? We agree with what we signed on to a long time ago, and that there's a one-China policy, and Taiwan makes their own judgments about their independence. We are not moving. We're not encouraging their being independent. We're not let. That's their decision. But would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. Were you surprised at that? And does, and how can they continue to say there's no change in policy when the president has said three times we would attack if they attack? Well, I was and wasn't surprised. I think it was actually the fourth time now. That okay, Biden has my said bad. That. So it's a, well, uh, yeah, it's hard hard to um, keep, keep, up. keep track as we keep uh, doing this. Um, so, so I think that Biden's statement was the right policy. Um, my worry is that, like Putin, who cal- miscalculated in Ukraine, she could miscalculate, think that attacking Taiwan would be easy, and, and we want to deter that invasion. We want to say, no, this is going to be hard. This could be war with the United States. Don't think about it. So I think the president made the right statement. The problem is then his White House um, contradicted him for the fourth time. Uh, and so that doesn't really strengthen the message. And then the other problem is, is we're talking a big game now, uh, but we're not really building the military to back it up. Uh, we don't really have the ability to defend Taiwan right now. Um, this is the Pentagon's biggest priority. But if you take into account inflation, uh, the, the Biden Pentagon is, is actually cutting uh, defense spending. So I like the talk, but we need to um, carry a big stick to back it up. Right. Uh, I just do think that with recruiting being down, don't you think it might be an important time to lift that vax mandate and stop kicking people out? Uh, definitely. We, we need to uh, be recruiting people into, into the armed forces, not uh, kicking them out for, um, you know, for these questionable scientific reasons. I'm embarrassed to ask you such simple questions, but it seems so obvious from my point of view. It's like not even we used to talk about the nuances of policy, but either they're doing the good guy, bad guy, the good cop, bad cop thing, which doesn't make any sense with China. Uh, I'm not sure because it puts them in an awkward spot. Jake Sullivan did not look comfortable yesterday trying to explain away his boss or and then with the whole recruiting thing, does anyone else concerned about that? Shouldn't the, the person in the White House be concerned about our defense? Isn't that his primary responsibility? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, they sh- they should be concerned. And um, you know, uh, uh, military leaders have been warning about this for some time. That we, um, for health reasons and obesity and other reasons, we're, we're having a hard time recruiting enough uh, fit young men uh, for the forces. The Army has faced a deficit in recruiting for several years. Uh, and so, uh, yes, we need to be doing what we can to get the best uh, people in and, and not let things like a vaccine mandate stand in the way. So, Matthew, what kind of things are you doing at the Scowcroft Center? Well, we uh, focus on a global strategy and uh, security and honoring the legacy of General Brent Scowcroft, who was National Security Advisor to Presidents and Ford. And so right now, our biggest priority is competition with China. Uh, we, we think that is the biggest uh, threat to the United States. Uh, and it's a comprehensive threat. It's not just uh, military, it's economic, it's ideological, it's technological. Uh, and so we're we're trying to develop the strategies and the policies right. the United States and its allies can put in place to deal with this deal with this threat. Last question. Is Ukraine capable of defending against an additional three hundred thousand Russian troops? I think so. You know, these are going to be lower quality forces. Um, and you know here's another place where the White House could be doing better. We're um, wringing our hands about providing Ukraine with more advanced weapons because we're worried about Russian escalation. Um, I, I think we should instead be giving um, the Ukrainians the weapons they need, including these longer-range attackums um, missiles. That's what they're asking for. We have them, uh, but we're we're being self-deterred. Uh, we should stop that. We should uh, help Ukraine win this war and help them get tanks and maybe planes. Uh, Matthew Kronig, thanks so much, Matt. Thank you. My pleasure. You got it. When we come back, I'll take some calls, and we're waiting on the president speaking about 15 minutes. Uh, more into the content and the delivery. And then we have Ken Burns and Lynn Novick coming on talking about the U.S. and the Holocaust. Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think at some point you're going to have to embrace the, the fact that this is happening to a certain extent. I would say, look, well, you've got people that want to work and you've got a shortage of workers. Hire these folks, give them the opportunity to work legally, and then make sure that the, that the employers that are employing them are doing it the right way and paying them correctly. And then here's the catch. Tax them on it. Yeah, I listen, I understand the sentiment, uh, but it's not going to work because it's all about symbolism. What did uh, Henry Cuellar say? And what did Jay Johnson echo over the weekend? People in Central and South America, wherever they're coming from, need to see people going home, being rejected. They need to know that the border is not open. You've got to keep showing them with video. The administration keeps saying, we send 100,000 home. You know, we keep sending about tens of thousands every day back. All right, let's see that. Why do we never see that? Not that I don't trust them, but even if I did trust them, you need to see it because they need to see it. Right now, they're seeing a greeting party at at Port Authority, everyone hugging them in Martha's Vineyard. You got to be kidding me. They're all getting in and coming across at the Rio Grande Valley, Eagle Pass. And that means, honey, we should go. We could get in. You saw the video. That's the danger. And that sheriff's an embarrassment. He's the sheriff in Bear uh, County. He thinks uh, Governor DeSantis is the problem. He's not. Don in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Don. Yes, Brian. Thank you for taking my uh, call. I wanted to uh, test your memory. Do you remember the Muriel Boatwitz from back in the 80s? Yep. Okay. All criminals. 
Yes. Do you think there's a parallel between that and Venezuela emptying out their prisons and sending them to the United States? Wouldn't be hard to find out. I mean, in, that they're not that, sending their best, right? Right. We both were Democratic presidents. We've got high inflation right now. And also we've got higher uh, rising interest rates. So it's really easy to see that, you know, these two uh, presidents seem to be on the same path. Well, a couple of things. They should be applying for citizenship here or uh, admission here in Colombia. The first country they step into, they go to the consulate and they say, hi, uh, I'm such and such, and this is my background check. Here's my social, here's my numbers, whatever they are. Check it out. I'd like to apply for asylum. I have a crazy Maduro as my, uh, as my leader. I don't want to be a communist. I, I grew up in capitalism. You know that. We love America. Okay, let me just check you out, and then let's see where you look on the asylum list. I'm all for bringing more people into this country. Never against it. I just want to find out if they want to be here. And, and if, they're, if they're looking to work or they're looking to live off our system. And that's so easy to find out. It's all built into it. But when you just storm the border, you already lost me. You lost me at that. Ken Burns next. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. We tell ourselves stories as a nation. One of the stories we tell ourselves is that we're a land of immigrants. But in moments of crisis, it becomes very hard for us to live up to those stories. The Holocaust was beyond belief. People just disappeared. The primary goal was get to the United States. But the golden door was not wide open. We are challenged as Americans to think about what we would have done, what we could have done, what we should have done. In our better moments, we are very good people, but that's not all there is to the story. And it is a valuable story. Uh, it's always worth looking back. There's so much footage available that no one would ever see, but Ken Burns and Linovic dig it up. They're co-directors and producer of The U.S. and the Holocaust, a new three-part, six-hour series that explores America's response to one of the greatest humanitarian crises of the 20th century. Welcome to both of you. Thanks, thanks to uh, uh, Ken. Well, hello, Lynn. Thank you so much. Um, hey, Brian. It's great to be with you. Uh, always. Ken, so first off, uh, to both of you, if you take this question— uh, what, 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 uh, how did you get onto this topic? Where did you think this is unexplored? I got to expose it. Yeah, well, you know, remember when we made our film, Lynn and I made our film on World War II that came out in 2007. You and I talked about it. Yep. Uh, we've done a pretty significant scene on the Holocaust, but people came out of the woodworks with a lot of sort of misinformation and disinformation, kind of conspiracy theories and questions like, why didn't you do this? And, you know, statements that this person was anti-Semitic. And we realized this is a story to tell. And then later I worked on a film about the Roosevelts with our writer, Jeff Ward, who had written both those pieces and now this one. And finally, we were approached in 2015 by the Holocaust Museum in Washington that was going to do an exhibition along the same lines and thought, wouldn't it be nice if we could work in cooperation? And their exhibition opened in 2018. We spent seven years working on on this. And it was really trying to sort of dig deeper into the U.S. and the Holocaust, not just what happened in the Holocaust, but we, who are not responsible for it or complicit in any way, what we did, as you heard in that teaser, what we did and what we didn't do, perhaps what we should have done. And, you know, though the United States let in 225,000 
refugees more than any other sovereign nation, we could have let in five times as many at least, even within the pernicious quota systems that existed with the Johnson Reed immigration law, and we didn't. And so I think in some ways we have to reckon with a complicated history. It also permitted us to reseize the Holocaust, not as some separate event within or attached to or adjacent to World War II, but something that's very much part of the TikTok of it, what happened. And you can see it in relationship yeah. to uh, German expansion. So we just wanted to revisit it and, and tell a complicated story. It's also filled with lots of American heroes. And Lynn is so typical because the water isn't blazing hot. It gradually gets hot. Hey, what's going on with Hitler? Oh, he says it's not going to be a problem. Oh, they want to just expand a little bit. Oh, they just want to re- restore their economy. Oh, wait a second. They're belligerent against the Jews, but maybe they won't expand. And, and the, oh, the Russians are the issue. And then little by little, it's easy to say, why didn't we act sooner? But when you realize the headlines were covering it. They were doing it. They did fear it, but they worried about another world war. Uh, Lynn, first off, uh, I want you to hear uh, uh, one of the cuts from your documentary. This is the State Department and why they didn't do more to help Jews fleeing Nazi Germany. Cut 38. The Nazis persecuted the Jews was undeniable. But the notion that the Nazis were now preparing to kill them all was simply impossible for many in the State Department to believe. State Department officials decide that this is not good information. And and this is crucial. They say, even if this were true, there's nothing that we could do about it. They believe that they are doing all they can to assist the Jews and that any sort of rally or petition or protest asking them to do more would be diverting resources from the war effort. Many of these people were also racist and anti-Semitic and nativist. And so you have to wonder whether some of their concerns, some of their annoyances have to do with the fact that they're being asked to help Jews. Your thoughts on that, Lynn? Yeah, so that was the voice of Rebecca Erbelding, a wonderful historian at the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, who really helps us understand some of the complexities of the situation that our leaders and the people in the State Department and the people in the media and just the American people found themselves in. Because as you said, Brian, you know, this was a gradual escalation of a problem. And as it was happening, even while it was happening, Sometimes the people to whom it was happening couldn't believe what they were experiencing and the scale of what was what was being visited upon the Jews of Europe. So there's multiple different problems here. One is understanding what's going on as it's changing. Two is what do we do about it? And that these are difficult problems. And I think in the film, we just tried to show as much as possible not to judge with 2020 hindsight, but to represent the complexities of the situations that the American people and our government found themselves in, and also the ways in which our response could have been better. And the State Department is the place where uh, people applied for visas to come here because of the quota system Ken was describing, and they sort of went out of their way to make it harder as opposed to making it easier. And there are many reasons for that, some of which Rebecca Erbalding just explained in her in her beautiful. Hey, Ken, uh, in, in looking some, I haven't listened to, I haven't watched all of it, but in looking at it, I'm, I think Eleanor's instincts were better than FDR's. It was just the nature of his position. I think it's, it's just a great question, Brian. It's the nature of his position. Remember, he's not a king. He's not a fuhrer. He can't wave a wand and say, oh, let these people in. This has been voted by Congress. It's an act. The American people overwhelmingly support it. There's a kind of 
toxic environment of othering people and blaming, particularly the Jews. There's lots of, of anti-Semitism sort of in the air. And so he's moving as a strategic politician who sees better than anyone the coming war and realizes he has to sort of revoke the Neutrality Act quietly. And while in retrospect, the, the humanitarian stuff seems um, uh, you know, foremost, but that's just in retrospect. If he hadn't revoked the Neutrality Act, we might be speaking German today. No kidding. But you're right about Eleanor. You know, with the exception of uh, prohibition, and her father was a hopeless alcoholic, and she watched him die in the just the most horrible throes of the mental illness of, of alcoholism, she's basically right on everything. So he has constantly got you know, the somebody at his shoulder, in his ear, telling him what's right. And he, I think, for the most part, believes it. But sometimes his actions seem to us sort of frustratingly cold because you want him to do something more. And I think perhaps he could have done more, shouted loudly, more loudly. But for the most part, he has got, I won't say bigger fish to fry. There's nothing more important than the Holocaust in this regard. But he does have the greatest cataclysm in human history, the Second World War, to manage, which will kill in its totality, you know, more than 50 million human beings. So, uh, Lynn, to just to set the stage, and you do it great. Uh, and by the way, you can get this at, on the app. I get it on the app, uh, PBS.org, PBS Video app, or just PBS. You get an iOS, Android, Roku, Apple TV, everything. Uh, and it is called the U.S. and the Holocaust. We're not ready to fight. We got 139,000 troops in a country this size. It's stunning. Our equipment's from World War One. We have almost no. We have no infrastructure. So, with the neutrality act, it allows us to build planes and tanks for Europe to fight, for the UK, uh, the United Kingdom, and for uh, for France to fight. Little did we know they wouldn't. Uh, but at least we were able to ramp up a little before we directly got involved. I want you to comment on this. This is the Auschwitz report, and it's so horrific, we can't get our head around it. Cut 40. The release of the Auschwitz report is headline news throughout the country. These news reports explaining to the American people what Auschwitz was and what happened there are followed up by op-eds, by columns about Auschwitz and what America has to do in the wake of all of this information. And the fact that it's released by the War Refugee Board. It's not being released by a Jewish organization. It's not being released. Rabbi Stephen Wise says it's coming from a governmental source. It's much harder to dismiss it. Did we? No, no. By that point, the Auschwitz report was a very important document that included eyewitness testimony of two people who had escaped from Auschwitz and written a report that really verified what was going on there. There had been other reports before this, but this was in April of 1944. The government released this definitive report describing the gas chambers, the executions, the deportations, the whole scope and scale of what was happening at Auschwitz in the larger context of the destruction of European Jewry by the Nazis. And it was front page news all over the country, all over the world. We didn't dismiss it. The question then is what to do about it. This is April of 1944. This is before D-Day. You know, we do have soldiers fighting in, on the European continent, but we're nowhere near anywhere of the places where this killing is happening. And is this the highest priority? The highest priority is to win the war, as Ken was saying. Roosevelt has by now obviously mobilized. We've built the army. We've got this. You know, we've, we've gone overseas mm -hmm. to fight uh, the Nazis and to fight in the Pacific as well. But this is coming out in the context of really the middle of World War II. So, you know, we killed... And it wasn't dismissed. Yeah. Yeah. 
but we didn't act and the way we should in retrospect. Yeah. One little fine point, Brian, I would just add to that. What Lynn said is absolutely true, is that by the time we get a boot on the ground in Europe, in Sicily, three quarters of the people who are going to perish in the Holocaust have already been murdered, right? They're, and they're in Poland. Like we think concentration camps, the gas chambers are in the killing centers in Poland, in Nazi-occupied Poland. And they are, you know, hidden out of sight. And they're Auschwitz, they're Chelmno, they're Belzic, there's Sobibor, there's Majdanek. I mean, there's, these are the horrible places. People are dying in concentration camps. They're being worked to death and they're being burned in crematoria. But these places are designed purely to kill human beings and work them to death, right. those uh, that aren't immediately killed. And that, you know, we, we're not even yet at a place where we've got an air base to go and conceivably disrupt, if we could. Right. The... Okay. Uh, I think Ken's still there. Uh, by the way, the, the voiceover is the best in the business. Peter Coyote, I guess he works for you yeah. guys. Uh, he's, he's unbelievable. Every time he talks, you just want to pay attention. Uh, Ken Burns, Lenovic, our guest. What I, what I think is so important about what you do, you put it in perspective. You bring us back to the time rather than judge us from the eyes of 2022. I, not, I never thought when we first started doing interviews about your project from the Civil War on down, Ken, and I love doing it. We'd have to remind people that history is history for a reason. You can't judge them yeah. against today's, uh, today's mores and to, to what we believe today. And believe it or not, I think Bill Maher nailed, uh, uh, nailed it when he talked about this current war on history. Cut 41. How we teach our kids history has become a big controversy these days with liberals accusing conservatives of wanting to whitewash the past. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes they do. But plenty of liberals also want to abuse history to control the present. And last month, a scholar named James Sweet caught hell for calling them out for doing just that. He criticized a phenomenon known as presentism, which means judging everyone in the past by the standards of the present. It's the belief that people who lived 100 or 500 or 1,000 years ago really should have known better. Which is so stupid. It's like getting mad at yourself for not knowing what you know now when you were 10. In a funny, comedic way, he's always smart, even though you don't agree with him. Isn't, isn't that what people that care about history are battling today, that people want to take down statues and, 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 ruin, and wreck museums? Is that what you're battling today? No, I think it's a, a, a more complicated and nuanced thing, uh, Brian. And I think we need to... Um, hold all of ourselves to a higher standard. The assaults we're being, it's a pincer movement from, from both sides. And what we have to do is liberate ourselves and tell a very complete and honest history that's unafraid of controversy or tragedy, but equally drawn to those stories and moments that suggest an abiding faith in the human spirit and particularly the unique role that's remarkable, but also, as our film shows, dysfunctional republic plays in the positive progress of mankind. Uh, people want to sanitize and make a Madison Avenue view and not upset people with anything that's disturbing. And people on the other side want to use history as a, a kind of weapon to 
sort of uh, do this. Both are not right. We're interested in telling stories, and stories about human beings are always complex and not easily fit in. There is venality and virtue. There is greed and generosity. There is puritanism and purience. And it's not just necessarily between people, but within people. And if you can adopt a thing where you're telling a story and not making an argument, because arguments don't change people's minds, stories do, then you have the possibility of finding a common space where you and I and your listeners and the PBS listeners, which overlap tremendously, can have a civil discourse, which is the whole purpose of history, to give us the perspective to look on this moment with a little bit of grace and understanding and and civility. But I always think that you and Lynn have are fearless in that way. And Lynn, I just want to, we only have a, a minute, 90 seconds left. But when okay. they take tell Teddy Roosevelt, get that statue away from the Museum of Natural History, when they say take Lincoln's name uh, off that grammar school, uh, that, that would take a rip the Andrew Jackson statue down from front of the White House. Uh, that angers me and worries me. What about you? Mm-hmm. You know, I guess I, I'm 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 agreeing with Ken in the sense that we need to be um, able to look at ourselves critically and to understand where we have gone wrong and where we can do better. And we do have some very controversial aspects of our own history that we're still reckoning with to this day. And probably our children and grandchildren will also be having difficult conversations about uncomfortable truths in our past. And I, we should welcome that. You know, and I think the the statues is a question, but there's bigger questions at stake here than that for us. All right. Ken Burns, Linovic, uh, their new uh, documentary, uh, The U.S. and the Holocaust. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate it. Great to be with you, Brian. All right. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Thank uh, you. You got Thank it. Thank you so much. Congratulations. I, I know the magnitude of work that went into a project like this, and it's just in awe. Uh, go to PBS. It's so worth it. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls. Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. This is the same media that has bought every single thing that that has been sold to them over the past five years. Uh, they're completely unquestioning about things, which is, of course, the the, the real problem, because you cannot have a free republic without an informed uh, public. Uh, and and th- th- these are the people we're relying on. But it really is amazing uh, the way this stunt has managed to expose the uh, the Biden administration policies and expose the people that support it. You know, those those. 50 migrants landing in Martha's Vineyard, if they had been uh, carrying rakes and mop buckets, they would have been welcomed in open arms, as they often are. But because they came as humans looking for asylum, they could, these people couldn't have, ha- handle it. And uh, the policies revealed themselves, and these people reveal, revealed themselves. Charlie Heard just made sense of it. I mean, do you realize how embarrassed they should be? Do you ever meet somebody in your life that does something so embarrassing and what makes it really worse is they don't realize it? I guess we all have done it to a degree, and we quickly correct, I hope. But Martha's Vineyard is totally not self-aware enough to know that when those uh, illegal immigrants arrived in Martha's Vineyard and when they signed forms that allowed it, they, they arrive in small-town paradise. I've been there a couple of times. It's awesome. 
they arrive there, and these people are horrified. They can't believe these Venezuelans and these other Hispanics are in their area. And they quickly, in 45, look, can I get you? We don't have an infrastructure. Let me get your blankets. Let me get you something else. Of course, there's plenty of room there. You could put them in a, a gym for a short term. You could bring them to the beach for a while. And then they could rotate uh, and make sure they understand have proper uh, sun protection. But instead, they call the Na- National Guard. And 300 arrive, and they escort them to a military base. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 7669 at the United Nations. Uh, they're running late, evidently. Uh, Joe Biden should have spoken already. Should have been probably done a, uh, 10 minutes ago. He's supposed to address uh, the whole world at 1035, but hasn't. Uh, this time, I don't think he's to blame. I think everybody else is talking long. Uh, with this hour, we're going to be joined by Martha McCallum and Bill Hammer. Uh, Martha McCallum, fresh off her British courage, uh, co- uh, uh, great coverage, and Bill Hammer, uh, is going to do some evaluating about what's happening uh, domestically with me in studio. Now a familiar face uh, to all of you, David Sokol, chairman, CEO of, uh, is it Teton Capital? Teton Capital, yes, sir. Teton Capital, uh, chairman of the board of Atlas uh, Corp and former chairman, CEO of uh, NetJets and former Berkshire Hathaway. And author of the book, Go Get It, American Perspective, Defending the American Dream for the Next Generation. And before we get to David, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. And those who try to blackmail us with nuclear weapons should know that the prevailing winds can also blow in their direction. This is not a bluff. Yeah, uh, President Biden to speak at the U.N. today. What can we expect? Well, will he call out China, walk away from uh, evil Iran, and lambaste Putin for that statement, which is ridiculous? NATO threatening nuclear weapons on, Ch- on Russia? Let's see uh, if the woke agenda at the Pentagon, an exit from Afghanistan, will allow the president to appear as he has, if he has some American strength. Number two. The bases are energized. Democrats are energized on abortion. Republicans are energized on immigration, the economy. But it's the independents that are going to swing this midterm election. And they are much more economic focused than their ba- the bases of, of the individual parties. This is Josh Krasauer weighing in. 2022, where is it trending? And the role of the reeling economy on the November outcome. As you hear, it might be the key moment as we wait for the Fed to inflict more pain on the people. Number one. Looks like he's sending uh, migrants to Delaware. Do you have any comment or response to that, sir? He should come visit. We have a beautiful shoreline. Hysterical. Uh, sorry, Dems. DeSantis owns you and the issue. And, Mr. President, he's bringing his show to your home, not the White House, to your Delaware home, where you spend most of your time. The border wars are blowing up in the Democratic faces. And because it is a tragedy, not because it's a political uh, cudgel to be used, it is actually broken and maybe done on purpose. Uh, David Sokol, uh, welcome officially to the show. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate you t- having me. First off, I know business is your expertise, and we're going to talk about the economy. Your take on what's going on with – because a lot of the people you, uh, that you hang out with are, are the most successful, powerful people in the country. 
When you have illegal immigrants arriving at a place like, uh, or migrants arriving at a place like Martha's Vineyard, and they show up there, does that do? Does that drill the issue home to those who want to ignore it? I think it does. I, I think it also lets America realize this isn't a joke. This is, you know, the the president, the vice president, te- seem to think it's kind of humorous that we have this situation, or that somehow they may benefit from it. Seventy six uh, people on the on the FBA terrorist wanted list have been found at the border uh, so far this month. Yeah, and, and and those those communities along the border, you know, how do they handle it? I mean, if if a, if a community like uh, Martha's Vineyard that that has uh, an influx of over a hundred thousand guests during the during the uh, peak periods, and during the off periods they have seventeen thousand, they must have a lot of rooms there. But apparently, they don't view that uh, those rooms are available for for immigrants. But but somehow they think that people live along the border should just uh, open up their houses. So they did a study. Uh, they're doing some studies now to find out who's got the power and what the issues that matter. Uh, and it turns out abortion's dropping, but the economy's rising. Inflation paying, uh, uh, pay, taking a big bite out of the American budget. So far, so it's the highest I've seen. They say it's highest in 40 years. It's the most we're talking about it. It seems at least 20 years. I think it's a huge issue. Uh, and, and frankly, we could be heading into, and I think we are at the beginning of, a period of stagflation globally, which is the most painful thing you can do to lower and middle-income folks. And How would you define that? High inflation and, and low GDP growth, uh, basically a recession globally with high inflation. Uh, there's nothing more painful to, to the lower middle class. Um, and you think we're beginning to feel it? We are. If you look at GDP projections globally, not just here in the U.S., but around the world, China particularly, um, we're definitely going into a slowdown. Uh, you're seeing it, you know, shipping rates uh, in many cases, China to the West Coast of the United States down 90 percent in the last in the last 12 months. Just in the last three months, uh, China to Europe shipping rates down 60 percent. How much is that? Is there zero COVID policy and how much is that demand? Uh, most of it is the clearing up of past backlog that was caused by COVID and, and now it's demand. Uh, here is the president on this very issue. Your grocery bills. What can you do better and faster? Well, first of all, let's put this in perspective. Inflation rate month to month was just uh, 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 just an inch Hardly at all. You're not arguing that 8.3 is good news. No, I'm not saying it's good news, but it was 8.2 or 8.2 before. I mean, it's not you. I can make it sound like all of a sudden, my God, it went to 8.2 percent. It's the highest inflation rate, Mr. President, in 40 years. I got that. But guess what we are? We're in a position where for the last several months it hasn't spiked. It has just barely it's been basically even. The president speaking right now is talking about Russia calling them out justifiably. But, uh, David, your reaction to his his evaluation? Well, it's one of the problems we have with government today is they just say things that that aren't true. They try to mislead the American public. I mean, eight, eight and a half percent inflation for most Americans. They remember 50 percent of the population was born after 1983. For most I'm old enough to to remember when when Treasury bonds were were over 10 percent. Um, most of the young people today don't, don't know what inflation feels like. And so they try to downplay it by saying, oh, well, it's just the same as last month. It's eight and a half percent. That's a 40 year high. Two thirds of U.S. adults say their their incomes are falling behind the cost of living. 
Uh, groceries were up 15.8%. Gas is up 25%, even with its leasing reduction. Rent up 7%. Airfares up 33%. See, if I, if I am a president of the United States and I say, I'm working on a situation in Cuba, you're going to be surprised. Okay, I have to take your word on it. We're working with Europe on how to neutralize Russia. You'll see, okay, I have to take your word on it. But I'm not waiting for the president's cues to tell me how the economy is. I don't need anybody's advice on that. we all going to make our own evaluation. So when he says something you know is totally wrong – it really – you lose rapid credibility that might not come back. Absolutely. And even for myself, where, where differences in energy prices aren't going to change my lifestyle. But when I pull my pickup into a gas station and even today at three seventy a gallon, uh, it's $90 to fill up the, that tank and it used to be $40. Um, I, 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 I just say to myself, wow, that's a huge difference. So for, for I, folks that have to find that extra $50 a week – uh, or every every five days, um, you know, it's a huge impact on their life. How did you grow up? Did you grow up? Uh, did you work working class, middle class? Did you L- grow up? lower income? But uh, you know, we were. So you have a real understanding what it's like paycheck to paycheck. Absolutely. Uh, you know, my first house was a mobile home, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, you, you you make payments. You you take your your money, you put it in envelopes, and say, okay, I've got this much for utilities. I've got this much for food. I've got this much for gas. And when those envelopes are empty, they're empty. Um, and, and that's what Americans are dealing with today is their budgeting process is being completely blown out of proportion. See, I, I have a full – I am extremely lucky to have this job now. But for, uh, up until like 33, beyond paycheck, my life was dramatically underfinanced. And not that I had to go out to eat every night or I have this nice car. I didn't. Uh, a Celica that was seven years old and things to that nature. But I never minded it. I thought it was part of the process. You know, just go ahead have evaluation. But when people – were haphazard or or were indifferent about what's going on, I that would that drove that drives me crazy about this. And you have a situation where you have a politician who's been doing the same job for over fifty years. He's got no sense of going shopping. One time, George Bush forty one didn't know how a a a, a price a a, a a price definer worked. Uh, one of those swipers worked, and everyone's like, "Oh, he's out of touch." Is he getting a pass now? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the mainstream media is is just holding this guy up. And it's it's unfortunate because these are real issues. And, and not only is inflation issue, what he's speaking on right now, I mean, he, he has had to walk his own words back three times on whether we would defend Taiwan. He says yes. His State Department says no. Over the course of a year and a half. Right. And now now we're dealing with a Putin threat of nuclear war. Does does anybody in this country really believe that that, that – Joe Biden or Kamala Harris should be making this decision on war. Uh, I mean, it's frightening. And but these are real issues. And, and I think this coming election, people have got to pay attention to America first. Yeah. And we're pulling some of this speech because he opened up with Russia. Right, Eric? So he opened up talking about Russia because Russia is going to do a fake uh, referendum September 20th on the areas in which they just took. Uh, in the Donbass region, which might not be able to hold too long. And one of the reasons he wants to do that is tell the Russian people we're being invaded on that land we just got. Meanwhile, he's going to have trouble holding on to it where he's conscripting or he's activating 300,000, I guess, reservists into action, which could uh, blow up in his face. Here's what Lee Zeldin said about the president who's on the Foreign Relations Committee and served in the military. He's also running for governor in New York, cut four. As a member of Congress, for me and for all of our colleagues, uh, we should sit down in a classified setting with the U.S. Intelligence Committee uh, community to find out what they know. I would treat this seriously uh, before 
anything else. And when President Biden gets to the United Nations, understanding that Vladimir Putin is known to be homicidal, not suicidal. And here's the key where it leads to your expertise is energy. So everyone fears the fall in the winter because he's cutting off natural gas. He wants to have Nordstrom 2 actually uh, pushed over to China. What he's doing long term is pulling us. He's losing his best customers forever if they have a brain in their heads. How worried should you be if you're in Western Europe right now? I think you should be worried in Western Europe, and I think you should be worried in North America uh, because part of what Putin's doing is using energy as a weapon. Um, And when the West, uh, including Europe and the U.S., are dumb enough to basically start start shutting down fossil fuel availability, which is the lifeblood of our economy, in in the hope that something's going to replace it, which, by the way, it's a hope, not a plan – you know, the, those that are our adversaries recognize, you know, how dangerous, dangerous that is for our economy and how they can affect popular opinion and things of that nature. What they've done in Europe is is a great example that Americans should be watching out for. Germany shut down their nuclear plants, shut down their coal plants, went to wind and solar, but did not have enough to back up their entire energy resources. They then tied themselves to Russian gas, and look what's happened. Now they're having a ration. Their prices are up three and 400% on energy. Uh, it's a weapon, and uh, if we're dumb enough to, to provide that weapon to China or to, to Russia or to other adversaries, Iran and others, uh, we're going to pay a huge price for it. This is my hope because you know what's happening in California. They kept the nuclear plant open. Do you know what they're doing in Germany? Uh, they kept, they're reopening their coal plants and the nuclear plants. Right. I don't know if they can get it open in time. So they're going to be burning the fossil fuels they ran from and thought they were put it behind us. They can't uh, in all practicality. And you can only have windmills for one season before the people rebel. And when they can't get heat and they can't get air conditioning, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat, Republican, or a socialist or a non-socialist. I'm voting for the people that are going to let me go back to my life, correct? Well, ho- hopefully. But, but what I think part of what our, our, uh, our, you know, the, the folks that want to hurt America uh, are thinking is that they can destabilize us. And they're right. I mean, you, you shoot energy prices up to 100, oil for $150 a barrel, natural gas to, to $30 and $40 an MCF, you de- destabilize the American economy. Um, people can take advantage of that, um, you know, propaganda from other countries. I mean, I, on one hand, you worry about cyber stuff, but I worry about the, the intelligence that a lot of our uh, opponents have that just sit back and are fueling the flames uh, of American politicians' stupidity. But when we have Mexico and Canada and America so oil-rich, at what point do we use the, does the practical side of us come out? Well, it, it needs to come out now. I mean, that's, and, that's why I think this election is so important, because what the left is trying to do with energy is make it impossible to turn us back. I mean, those coal plants that have been shut down already have been torn down. Um, you know, we're, we're not keeping them alive. Twenty three percent of our electricity in the United States comes from nuclear power today. The left wants it shut down. That's a zero carbon source and they want it shut down. Um, you know, I'll take them seriously when when they don't say. Energy or uh, CO2 is the existential threat of our time. Oh, but you can't use nuclear. Nuclear right. can be done completely safely. Um, but again, what they're trying to do is take away our options so that we can't revert back. Uh, hopefully you, you, have a, you have a chance to rebuke them. Voters out there listening to right now and give, send them a message in 2022 and then change gears in 2024. David Sokol, always great to see you, always educational, especially in these very erratic times. Thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. All right. Back in a moment. This is Brian Kilmeade Show. Bottom of the hour, Martha McCallum and Bill Hemmer waltz in here. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Just today, President Putin has made overt nuclear threats against Europe and a reckless disregard for the responsibilities of the non-proliferation regime. Now, Russia's calling, calling up more soldiers to join the fight. And the Kremlin is organizing a sham referenda to try to annex parts of Ukraine, an extremely <clears throat> significant violation of the U.N. Charter. Yeah, it's absolutely right. That's the president of the United States moments ago speaking at the United Nations. But, of course, he segues into climate, and I'll get into that in a moment. Martha McCallum here, fresh off her fantastic coverage of the Queen's uh, funeral and all the, everything that led to it. Martha, uh, the president came out pretty strong against Russia, but what he just said is what's about to happen. They are going to have a phony referendum September 20th. Uh, they're going to uh, annex about four uh, uh, four areas of the Donbass region, and then they'll have a rationalization to defend it while calling up 300,000 reservists. Your thought about what's been taking place over the last 24 hours? You know, I, I thought that the top of this speech at the UN was fairly, uh, it, it's what you would expect to hear. I was glad that he didn't sort of mess around talking about anything else. He, he addressed this at the top, which is as you would expect, and that's what everyone would want him to do. Um, you know, the big question here is, is what is the capability of Russia? Because we've seen what's happened over the last six months, and it's been a very haphazard effort on their part. We know that they sent in all of these recruits. They were told they were in a training exercise. Next thing they know, they're trying to take Kiev. That blew up in their faces. It went terribly wrong. So now, as we would also expect, backed into a corner and potentially losing, Putin looks like he's doubling down. He's calling in all of the people who are uh, reservists, not regular civilians, but this is the second level that they're going to with these reservists, and talking about annexing this this territory, which, as you say, would give them the right to defend it. So the question is, how capable are they of of launching this this kind of assault we've been told since the beginning well if they really if they really go for it and they really pull out all their guns they're going to crush ukraine right this is the moment where we're going to see and you know i I hope we all hope we never get to this moment if that is the case and what that looks like i'm afraid you see the video of them in prison with the wagner group trying to Mm -hmm. swear them in do you want to stay in prison or do you want to go to the front lines asking them you don't do that if you have if you have, you're still holding an ace. Yeah. And number two, they've been terrible in the actual battlefield itself. Right. They're great at killing innocent people without conscience and burying them in shallow graves. Yeah. That's what it is. And torturing them and blowing up infrastructure. Well, they don't appear to have a unified uh, sense of duty, you know, in what they're doing. They don't know and what the they hell have doing. friends and brothers and family members who live over that same over the line in Ukraine. Uh, it's very difficult to, you know, right. to turn them against them. Your arch enemy, Bill Hammer, will join us next. Looking forward to it. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So let this be the moment we find within ourselves. The will to turn back the tide of climate devastation, the devastation, and unlock a resilient, sustainable, clean energy economy to preserve our planet. Perfect time. Really, this is the perfect time. <clears throat> That's a little of the president's remarks. It's still going on at the United Nations. They got started almost a, 
I don't know, uh, 45 minutes late. Bill Hemmer's here on time. Yeah. Martha McCallum actually got here early. She says, let me give me – I have one segment without Bill Hemmer. I said, come on in, Martha. <laughs> oh, didn't, that wasn't the plan. I but just, just want... kind of barged in and I, I love your other segment. I didn't know Martha was <clears throat> going to be back today. I thought you just needed someone to fill in. No, no. We have, we, we have both of you Welcome together. Home. This is a reunion. I was going to take home, the day Martha. off. Didn't you do a great job, Bill? She was outstanding oh, in London. 12 days of work, is that right? We were there about 12 days, yeah. But for yeah. you, we had one it, day off. it was a, um, a job of joy, right? Well, it was. you know what? It was a story that I always eventually wanted to cover. Mm-hmm. I never really wanted it to happen because I just grew up in a world where, you know, Queen Elizabeth was sort of in the backdrop of everyone's lives and the whole global scene for all of those decades. Um, but it was an extraordinary story to cover, and it was, it was great to be there. It was an absolutely magnificent story. Uh, ceremony and you know I, I think that the reason everyone's so attracted to her is just her her ethos and her sort of selflessness you know she's not a perfect person uh there were ups and downs but we don't have a lot of people who operate in that kind of way uh outside of the great members of our military who put our country before themselves it's not something you see in sort of everyday behavior mm-hmm. all that much anymore so i, I think that's why there's sort of a nostalgia mm-hmm for uh, the way that she lived her life. And I, I don't know if we're ever going to see that kind of thing again. Well, really. maybe if Megan ever, will she ever be queen? <laughs> I, I think that'll happen. No. Uh, she asked for it. Bill, you were talking about this before. She's asked for a one-on-one with the king. Yes, she what did. Is, what is she at? She, are they embarrassed by this whole thing? Don't you think they got to be embarrassed? She needs to go back to California. I, oh. I mean, you know, I, I, I guess they're... I, but she can, it's never going away. It's it. Well, it could if they did what they want what they said they wanted to do, which was to leave and go live a private life. But it turns out that they don't really want that. They want to keep coming back. And now she's asking for one-on-one meetings. You know, I think that kind of thing would work the other way around. If the king said, you know, I'd I'd love to spend some time with two of you before you leave. It's usually the way that works. Um, I doubt that she was, she's going to get the meeting that she wants. Apparently Harry also suggested a mediator come in and help the family to which, you know, one, uh, a bit of reporting said that Camilla laughed out loud in her tea and, uh, said, no, I think we'll work on this ourselves. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's in that... Vanity Fair today Whoa. by Katie Nichols. So, that's um, some good juice. Yeah. I, 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 did you guys have that the other day? No, no, uh-huh. that, 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 that's Matt, new. Imagine me. Wow. So we'll see. You know, I, and the other thing that I just would mention, I know we have a lot to talk about, but um, I would just mention that, you know, the fact that it came out that Harry was very upset that they took the, the yeah. Elizabeth Regent off of his, his uniform tells you really all you need to know. Because if he got there and he, and he put his uniform on and he saw it, he had two choices. One is just to suck it up. Be glad that he got to wear his uniform and walk in there Let and never mention it again. It out, never yeah. mention it again. Right. Let someone else pick it out. Um, instead, he said he was humiliated, almost didn't wear it, thought about putting his suit on instead. He keeps me. It's all about him. You know, right. it's all about the two of them. It's very, it, so, you know, so how, and there's, they don't need them. I, I they're, they're not barely in the line of succession at this point. So, I like, didn't move on. E- even know if we should even believe that story. Like, how would that story get out there? You know, there's all these competing factions at the PR people on the on the Wales side and the Sussex side, and they they always you know sort of try to make sure that the other side is uh, oh, keep, right. is in check. So, um, can I just say this? Yes, J.R. Mo Ringer, who wrote the Tender Bar. Uh, J.R. Mo Ringer, who did Shoe Dog, the Phil Knight book, who did the Agassiz book. He's unbelievable biographer. He did Harry's book, and I heard even before 
you know, when this right before the uh, Oprah interview, oh, he's doing a book. Whatever happened in Oprah, right. it's going to be four times as explosive. And by the way, he won't do a book that's okay. He does mm-hmm. books that are explosive, mm-hmm. and I can't picture them destroying the book. But if this, if he wasn't writing a book, I could see this whole thing gradually getting better. You're the expert. But the book is going to be – if you thought the Oprah interview was explosive, this is going to be out of well, control. You know, the, Megan has said, you know, I know a lot, and I'm going to keep talking about it until I'm done. Oh, really? Now, whether or not – Is that in the podcast? I, one of the things that I think you'll see <laughs> is whether or not this experience this week changed any of that. But it doesn't feel like it did. Uh, there was so much tension. I thought William looked absolutely, you know, just stone-faced – the entire time. Obviously, it's a funeral. It's a somber event. But it looked painful for him. And I don't know if it was just because of the tension with his brother or because he now realizes that he's one breath away from being king himself for yeah. the first time in his life. I think all of that probably was weighing on him quite heavily. But, you know, the Harry and Meghan thing is, is a distraction that none of them need. If they want to live a private life, they should go go do it. If he wants to get back in the family, he needs to shelve the book. So that's the choice they have. Right. They're going to eventually run out of juice and stories to tell people. And then no one's going to care anymore. Right. right? And They'll get invited to a bunch of dinner parties in California for the rest of their lives, and that'll be that. Right. Um, I thought it was so cool how their kids were, like, talking to each other. Wasn't that cute? Yeah, I, I know. Like, you know, now you we know. have to do this next. You can see her, the big sister saying, you know, or the little sister, but that's the way sisters are, you know, saying, you know, George, you have to bow your head. Uh-huh. You know, like, put your hands together. Right. Oh, I, was, I, I love could. there's one video of the two of them looking like this. Either side, they see everyone bowing on either side, and then they just uh-huh. quickly curtsy. That was, a, that yeah, was they, a cool, was tender, real was, moment. Yeah. Now, Brian, is this your show? Hi, show. Yeah. yeah. Hi, hi Brian's so, show. No, no, so this is great. Um, I, though that's the part, I think that you know, when you're on for 12 straight days, Martha, we can't pretend like you weren't just covering yes. the biggest story in the world. Um, so... But uh, as we do in this business, now it's over and we're moving on. Which is why you're here. Which is one why day. we're here. You we had one it. day off exactly. and that There's was travel. There's a lot going on today. So here's a little bit more. So, uh, Eric, what do we have now uh, that we missed? We know we talked about Russia. We know we talked about climate change. First off, your reflection on climate change. I knew it was going to be in the speech. But my goodness, in a time in which natural gas is being shut off to Europe and energy should never be used as a weapon, that's not enough. Well, um, and, I, I, it's, I mean, it's, that's the number one story. A solar I, panel I and windmills are going to work. It's, it's a, I mean, it, it goes deep on his list of priorities. I, I think the reality check that must be made at the United Nations of all places, which we can debate whether or not this meeting is even necessary anymore and how much relevance it has. China's listening. China's going to have five times the coal plants we have in the United States by the year 2025. Right. Do they, do they care? Do they no. give a damn? They don't have to do, do anything do, until do 2035. Think, do you think Putin's even thinking about this? I don't. No. So what are we doing? Listen to John Kerry. John India, Kerry's controlling our country. Yes. Yeah, India, who, by the way, is buying all the oil from Russia, allowing them to finance, along with China, this whole war effort, along with the European Union. Right. I Middle just East. think that the events overnight that we woke up to this morning out of Moscow. They, Nuclear gonna, war. They, that's right. That's, that's, that's the story for the next six months. Or the next year, but or no one wants to talk about goes. Ukraine anymore, guys. I, I'm fascinated by this war. The fact that on pure, on, on pure drive alone, this is a, we're in a technical ideological age where we thought that emotion and morale wouldn't matter. It still matters, as well as getting weaponry and organization. Can you believe a standing army the size of Russia's has no commanders, lieutenants, and captains that know how to run things? That has no generals that are actually competent. Have they been even practicing with their stuff? Did Gorbachev leave the directions out for his tanks? It's a completely inefficient society. Communism does not work well. I mean, I remember seeing it back there in the 80s. And when 
after the Cold War ended, mm. it turned out that a lot of the things that we thought they had were rusted, had been in old silos for a long time, that the way that they talked about their capability was very different than what actually existed. And we're seeing it play out again in real time. They haven't fixed it. They have a leader who's full of bravado, but they don't have the system to back it up. Down. People don't care about their country when you live in communism. It's a different it, – they just don't. It's the first time Vladimir Putin has been cut down. Because for the longest time, wow, look what he did over in Syria. Look what he's threatening to do his neighbors. He took Crimea and Georgia without much of a problem. Look out. He's warning Ukraine. He's, he's messing with everyone's elections. Well, now he's been exposed. He got into the octagon, and he's getting his ass kicked. Here's, what, uh, here's more from what the president's remarks about Russia is. A brutal, needless war. A war chosen by one man, to it's be very blunt. Against Trump. Let us speak plainly. A permanent member of the United Nations Security Council invaded its neighbor, attempted to erase a sovereign state from the map. Russia has shamelessly violated the core tenets of the United Nations Charter. No more important than the clear prohibition against countries taking the territory of their neighbor by force. We got the theme. So we yeah. brought up Russia, and not many people are going to push back except China and India. And now, I, I just, guess just China. I just think, well, China did say... Bring the temperature down immediately after Putin talked earlier today. And he admitted it. And apparently Turkey and Erdogan said in the last 24 hours that Putin has to give up Crimea. You know, the Turks have a long history with that peninsula. I, I think we have to be honest Can with Can I ourselves. add something here? Senator uh, Lindsey Graham sat in Martha's seat yesterday, said he spent an hour with Erdogan. And Erdogan believes the war has totally turned towards Ukraine's way, and, and the, and the well, success is just th- there's starting. only one reason it got there, and that's because of our weapons and the weapons on behalf of NATO. And we can debate as to whether or not the Europeans are stepping up to play the way they can possibly do The answer is no. It's not but, a debate. Okay, well, the HIMAR rockets that we gave, H-I-M-A-R, I believe turn the course yeah, of this I war. Agree. I agree. These are highly mobile rockets. That can move all over the country, and they've got a range of 50 miles. The Ukrainians had no chance of reaching these ammo depots in Crimea without our rockets, period, full stop. Let's be honest. We are at war with Russia, whether we want to admit it or not. But, and, but just remember that early on, we were very hesitant to send them anything that would go over, over the line mm-hmm. into Russia. It was all about defensive weapons, and we were going to fight, you know, we were going to help them fight anything that came into Ukraine. So imagine if we had sent those HIMARS right off the bat. Absolutely. Um, and, before, and they had been able to take out some of those depots. Think about how many people would still be alive if we had made that decision earlier. Um, you know, it, I agree with you. That was the game-changing defensive weapon, if indeed the game has changed and Erdogan is right. Uh but it, it could have come sooner. Right. And by the way, if could we have got been there, there before be, it started, right. Could have been <laughs> before it started. So here is the president on Iran. And while the United States is prepared for a mutual return to the joint comprehensive plan of action, if Iran steps up to its obligations, the United States is clear. We will not allow Iran to acquire a nuclear weapon. Okay. Yeah. That's the right thing I to say. I continue to believe Right. Uh, it's the right thing to say. But he's got to walk away from that deal. He should have announced it already. Uh, it's a deal I, I that Iran is crazy not to take. As long as he is in office, they will continue to pursue it, period. I don't know if it will get done or not, but they'll go for it. Martha's a lot of that is just anti-turning around everything that Trump did. You know, I, I think that's just their ethos. 
everything is. And Obama started it, and he never had de- he never had Schumer report yeah. support Cardin. He never had Menendez. And even in the in the House, they said, "Can you brief us on what we're evidently agreeing on?" Yeah. Are you crazy? It's a real shame when you think about elections have consequences. The route that the Trump team was on, you know, they went from outside in as opposed to inside out. It was a hell of a strategy, and it worked for a lot of these countries: Egypt, United Arab Emirates, Bahrain. They were all part of this, and Saudi Arabia was the next major domino to fall in these peace accords. That's and, right. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and bam, the election happens. Trump's out of office. Here comes Biden. And they do a 180. And, right. and there has to be an ability in a transition of power, which we take so much pride in doing successfully in this country, to, to say when you get in the door, all right, show me what's working. Show me what's not working. Right. All right. Let, that's working. Let's leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Let, let's let's build on that because he was all for the Abraham Accords, Joe Biden. Um, let, let's build on that. Let's leave this, you know, Iran. Okay, we didn't want them to, to scrap that deal, but they did it. So where are we? You know, where where are we? Um, has it has this held them back, or are they ramping things up? And would it make any difference if we? But it's all about optics. It's all about sending money places and then not following where it goes and seeing what happens. And the the optic of saying we went back, you know, we we undid what he did. Mm-hmm. Martha, when we come back, Letitia James is having a press conference right now. They're filing a civil suit against the Trump organization. They know they. They went ahead and deposed everybody. This is not a surprise, and it looks like a political play. Uh, the world does not need, in New York, with all our problems, Donald Trump is not the problem in New York. You have plenty of things to do. How about keeping somebody in jail? Uh, Martha McCallum will also tell Bill and I, and if the mics are on, the whole country, who's going to be on her show at 3 o'clock. Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. So we have not told you this yet. New York Attorney General is suing uh, Donald Trump, civil civil suit, uh, saying inflated the value of his property, along with his three kids. Ivanka, I think Barron is probably not included in this. Hmm. Eric Don Jr., and this is unbelievable. Oh, so once we get a hold of that real estate investor that's inflating the value of a property to get loans. Then New York will be straightened out. That and the sucker punch guy in jail. Those are the two things i got to worry about. And if we could just take that skating rink away and the golf course get it in somebody else's hands. Meanwhile, the President of the United States just accused Russia of an extremely significant violation of the International Charter and the UN. He also said that uh, he does not seek a Cold War for China. Uh, Martha McCallum's here. Bill Hemmer's here. Uh, big stuff. Bill, before I went to break, I yeah. promised my audience I'd find out what's on Martha's show at 3. Do you mind if we just no, go no into problem listening at all. mode? I was just saying, I'll be the hatchet man. I'll go serve my 18 hours, and I'll come back and just... Right. The hatchet myself. man at the McDonald's. <laughs> right. Why not? The hell was well, that? Like, put it this way. If you try to pick up the person behind the counter at 2.30 in the morning, and she says, no, what choice do you have? <laughs> I mean, my, it, you might as well go to my backpack for a hatchet. Oh, my God. That was the scariest video. Good God. Um, so Ned Price is going to join us. Uh, he's at the UN with the president. So we'll talk to him about what the president had to say today about this very um, unnerving threat from Russia. Uh, Putin saying it's not a bluff in terms of talking about his own nuclear capabilities and, and the you know incredible technology that he says he has. He says it's, been, it's, it's, it's an better answer than to all our. the allies. Exactly. It's, it's an better answer than to, us, to the provocation of, of, yeah, of, the, of the allies. Uh, so we're going to talk to Ned Price. I also want to talk to him you know, about some of the other things that are going on in the world. So we'll save that for when we actually cool. have our discussion. Brett Velikovich is on the ground in Ukraine. Uh, so uh, we're going to talk to him about what he's seeing in terms of the battle there. 
front, uh, firsthand. So a lot. I, I'm looking forward to talking to him as well. And and Geraldo's going to join us to talk about the uh, you know airlift project of migrants to Martha's Vineyard who've now been sent to Cape Cod. <laughs> I mean, this this story is just so incredible to me. I can't understand why these same people weren't calling it inhumane and evil when planes were sent to upstate New York to red districts. They didn't say anything. Right. Well, Rob Astorino was like, <laughs> what's going on? No in one West told Chester me a plane County. was coming. And they were like, you're just going to have to suck it up, Rob. You know, that this is the way it is. Everyone's sharing the burden. And then suddenly, I mean, it's the hypocrisy is so incredibly right. It, it's so unbelievably you know, clear. The, the thing about I just this, can't even believe people can argue this. But, but there, was a, not, there was a drop off in New Jersey, too, right? I do believe, right? I don't think so. Yeah, I think Was so. It? Wasn't there? Didn't a plane or a bus show up in New Jersey? Well, been, I, I mean, mean three months ago, I'm talking yeah, about. Oh, but absolutely. Listen, yeah, they've here, been everywhere. Here's the point. Every the, this this network has been on the border every day for That's more right. than a year and a half. And there are often times when we speak with our correspondents and say, who else is there? And they say, you can Nobody. drive for hours and not see another TV crew. But son of a gun, as soon as that plane landed, touched down on Martha's Vineyard. Those guys beat a line out of New York. First flight into Martha's Genius, Vineyard. right? DeSantis is a genius. And, and the, the, old, started the it. only thing people on the island said was, you gave us no warning. And I, I think after about call 16 the, the hours Army. of people saying, you gave us no warning, I think I think the people but looked at the screen. the same and, thing that uh, every right, But they looked at the said. screen they said, this is absurd. We can't be reporting it this way. And then a day later is when they put him on the bus to the ferry to take him to the, <laughs> to the, Cape. Uh, the <laughs> naval base on Cape uh, Cod. Real quick, Trace Gallagher is the new host of Fox News at Night for Shannon Bream. Uh, Bill Hemmer, your first reaction. Martha McCallum, are you in support? Fantastic. Well, yep. Trace, Trace is an awesome, awesome reporter, great anchor, and it's a yep. great uh, position for all of us to have him in. I'm thrilled. Yeah, there's nothing he can't do. Absolutely. Oh, he's been absolutely, absolutely. A great colleague and a great guy, yeah, and I'm is. happy for him and his family. Right. Well too. done. And I'm happy for him, too. I'd like to come out against it to create a better show, but I'm fully in support. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Martha, we'll watch you at 3. Bill, we'll watch you wherever you, you are. Thank you, Brian. You Great it, to brother. see you. Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.